Got the coffee in hand, uh, ready. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if you know, and obviously, uh, if you're working from home or uh, prep, doing like an unlimited subscription to coffee. Um, so the first month's free as well. All oh, right. Okay. Um, so I've just been uh, having about three coffees a day just, just to make use of it. Just nail, nailing the coffee. <laughs> yeah. You can get like smoothies and other things as well. It's, uh, I read into it to follow. Must be some a catch here, but uh, yeah, it's just to increase kind of like footfall in like city centre areas. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not a bad idea. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't think I could handle that. I'm trying to cut down my coffee intake, to be honest. <laughs> coffee anti intake, to be fair. Yeah, that's it. I've, I've tried just drinking like green tea and things like that, but it just doesn't give you the same result. Does it half the time and uh, <laughs> just stay awake? <laughs> I think that's the point though, isn't it really, yeah, to be fair? That's it. <laughs> oh, that caffeine can't be good for you. <laughs> no, definitely. But yeah, no, uh, obviously, thanks for taking your time today. Um, obviously, uh, first instalment of our serverless uh, trusted tech talk, or the kind of podcast series that we're running. Uh, yep. So we obviously be delving into more like the introduction of serverless today. Um, kind of those who have not necessarily... Um, using serverless at the moment or people are maybe looking to adapt that uh, into the company uh, going forward um, or even those that are just really keen on finding out a bit more um, so yeah I, I mean obviously we're doing this over the next couple of weeks in terms of uh, different experts across the northwest um, and then we'll be kind of rounding up with a webinar towards the end uh, as well so yeah I guess uh, I'll, I'll start off uh, I'll introduce myself um, I'm for those who don't already know out there, I'm Lloyd from Maxwell Bond. Um, I'm a recruitment consultant who covers the infrastructure and the DevOps market across the Northwest. I'm one of the co-organizers of the uh, Trusted Tech Talks as well. Do you want to introduce yourself, John? Yes, certainly. So firstly, thanks for having us on today, Lloyd. Yeah, no uh, so yeah, my name is John Vines. I'm a, an engineering leader at AO.com. I've been with AO for over three years now. Um, predominantly, my role at the moment is uh, part of our data team building out a, a data platform, uh, particularly moving into event-driven architectures and, and streaming architectures. And, and Servos has a part to play in that. Certainly some of the use cases we've looked at over, over the last three years have, have involved quite a bit of um, adoption of, of Servos practices yeah. and, and principles. So looking forward to the chat today. Oh, good, good. Well, yeah, obviously questions today really are going to be kind of focused around, uh, you know, the introduction of serverless, obviously for those who don't know, we've not been using it. Um, so I guess very, very open question here, John, but what is serverless computing in your opinion? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a broad term, it's serverless and it can apply to, apply to quite a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I think that the first thing to start with is to say what, what it's, it's not. And I guess like, yeah. Um, we're not we're not here to say that that servers don't exist. You know, servers yeah. um, are still absolutely part of the stack. But I think the main thing that happens is that we've effectively abstracted away um, our need to operate and, and have to manage those servers. Yeah. Um, so a good way to think about it is um, that 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 kind of serverless is the same way that Wi-Fi is to wireless. Yeah. Um, so if you send if you send a text on your phone as an example. Yeah. at some point it's going to hit a wire um you know that that's just the nature of it you just don't have any kind of connections to that wire um as it was um so 
with with serverless it's similar we don't have to reserve anything uh, we just write the part uh, that responds to some request and, and let the vendor whoever we've chosen to, to manage those uh, those services that we're using to, to worry about about everything else um, I think just taking it a little bit further um, yeah a lot of people when they they think about serverless uh, tend to think about uh, functions as a service as, as the main use of, of what serverless is um, so that that is typically um, where a developer will write back-end code um, and they'll deploy that code, but they don't manage the servers or the long-lived server applications that that code runs on. That's that's what's being kind of um, deferred to, to the operator. Um, obviously, Lambdas, uh, AWS Lambdas are a really uh, well-known option of that. There are obviously others, Google Cloud Functions, Azure Functions, um, IBM Functions. There are open source versions uh, such as OpenWhisk, which you can run on top of Kubernetes. Um, but, but the functions as a service is just a small part of, of serverless, really. Um, it's actually another huge part is, is the managed services that go alongside it. So uh, right. just as an example, we can think of storage services. Um, if, we, if we're being AWS specific, that's things like S3, uh, DynamoDB, uh, messaging services such as SNS and SQS, uh, API proxies like API Gateway. Um, and most cloud providers have those types of services available as part of their, their kind of yeah. serverless offerings. Um, and then it goes beyond just the cloud vendors as well. There are um, other managed services out there that operate in a serverless way. So a good example is uh, the Kafka as a service off offering that, that Confluent uh, own and run you. You're completely taken away from um, what a server means in that in that scenario and I think um, I think broadly that that's kind of, of, of how I like to think about serverless it's it's yeah. the the stuff that um, we, we don't need to worry about and that I think the the best definition of seeing is by um, someone called Paul Johnston yeah. um, who basically says that serverless is uh, or being serverless building in a serverless way is effectively you end up with an architecture that costs you nothing to run if nobody's using it except for your data costs and i think that's a that's a really good encapsulation of, of how i like to think about serverless nice oh good really good insight there john and i guess what's what would you say is the biggest benefit is then of obviously using that i know you've covered some there where um you know you've delved into quite a lot but what would you say is the biggest uh, benefit of using it yeah, definitely. I, th I think once we start to, to understand um, a little bit more what, what serverless is and what it brings us, you can start to ask the question why. Like you're asking about the benefits and yeah. that's, a, that's a big part of the why. Um, and there are a few, a few kind of characteristics that come, come along with, with deciding to be serverless or going down that serverless route. Yeah. Um, the first is that it's scalable by default. Um, so you don't have to worry about setting up things like auto-scaling policies, uh, managing load balances or or worrying about the life cycle of where that that computer is being run all of that's built into the offering of the services that you're using yeah um they tend to be um resilient more resilient because things like high availability and, and fault tolerance again are, are built in so we don't have to build those in ourselves to the same degree that we would if we were building a more traditional server-based application that's running um either on a server or within a container or something like that um, that that resilience right. comes as part of the package. Um, they they 
inherently more secure. Um, we've passed a lot of the burden of, of security to the, the cloud provider as well um, in this kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, so they're responsible for the data center, the network, the servers, the operating system. Um, so all things like patching and making sure that your, soft, your, your hardware is kept up to date um, is things that we, we um, don't have to worry about as much. And it's, it's not to say that the attack, they just change. Yeah. Um, we're responsible for the fun functionality um, of, so, so we're, we're responsible for like, the code that's deployed and the, the security of that, but the security of the, the hardware that it's deployed to um, becomes, a, becomes something for the, the cloud, provider, cloud provider to manage. Um, and then finally, um, they're, they're cheaper, <laughs> in all honesty, <laughs> we said before, um, yeah. you know, you pay for what, you pay for usage effectively. So if you've got traffic patterns that result in very little usage overnight, as an example, um, you only pay for the bits that you actually use. Um, um, and I think when, when a function isn't running, you're not paying for anything. Um, obviously, the caveat to that is that we still have to pay for data storage. If data is a part of your yeah. architecture deployment, you, you've still got to pay for where that's stored. Nice. It's quite a lot of benefits then for using the serverless. So I guess, is there any disadvantages at all um, for using it? I know some people are not in serverless at the moment, but would, would there be any that you know of? I, yeah, I, th I think there are. I think there's there's always trade-off with with kind of any technical choice that you make. A couple that spring to mind for me are um, one that that's always touted um, is is that fear of locking, being locked into a given cloud provider. I think if you make the the choice to um, go all in with something like yeah. serverless, you, you're kind of making the decision that you're going all in on a on a given cloud provider. Um, in, in some cases, those fears can can be justified. In other cases, um, yeah. I think the advent, advantages outweigh it a little bit, okay. um, and it should just be part of the, the wider conversation around what you're comfortable with um, as, as an organization or, or as a team within an organization with the options that you, you're given around building um, whatever it is that you need to build. Um, and, and another one um, is... Is, so we've, we've already spoke about serverless being cheaper and in, in, yeah. in a lot of use cases it is it is cheaper but it's not um it's not a silver bullet it's not the right choice for every every type of architecture that we're going for yeah um so a good example there was a couple of articles um a while back which is which was speaking uh, particularly about um trying to use serverless in a um in a machine learning environment um right and particularly around model training uh, and it, it, it kind of sounds um it, it doesn't really fit that use case if you know what i mean what, yeah. what we're talking about for model learning is quite high intensity data crunching um what serverless gives us is for our more everyday type use cases and ability to to get up and running quickly and see if the thing that we're building is the right thing uh, whereas machine learning and, and model training is is much longer scale needs different types of characteristics of an architecture um to, to help us with that as well nice okay great i, I guess uh, well yourself at the moment is it just aws that you're using over at ao for the serverless um predominantly um so aws was was our cloud provider as choice yeah yeah okay um i guess 
in your opinion, what, what would you say is the best cloud provider to work with with serverless? Um, I guess we're mostly working with AWS yourself at the moment, but do you know a, a lot about the other cloud providers? Is it fairly similar or is the other benefits? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess the, there is an element of bias in the fact that the majority of what I've built is in AWS. Yeah. Um, the, the options that are available in, in the other cloud providers um, is not something I've got a huge amount of experience with, but I know that they offer, offer similar things. Okay. I think the, the things I know about AWS, um, particularly with, with serverless, kind of the, the Lambda function itself is the glue for how serverless architectures are built within AWS. And um, the last time I read this, it's probably more now, but um, I read yeah. that they had 47 different triggers for those Lambdas, um, which is by far the most of, of any provider. It's kind of baked into their serverless offering as, as being kind of event first, um, the, and that event-based paradigm is kind of deeply baked into to how services are orchestrated. So it lends very naturally to that serverless type of, of architecture that you're building. Um, and it's built with a first principle in mind. And from a couple of conversations I've had, whether that's exactly the same for other car providers or not, I'm not too sure. Um, but in the same question, right, if we elevate the, the discussion out of serverless for a second, yeah. Um, each cloud provider has its own advantages. Um, and for what we're building, that, that kind of um, compute advantage you get through AWS is, is the thing that draws us in more than, more than anything else at the moment. Yeah, I guess it's another discussion. Uh, you know, it could go quite uh, in depth with yeah. as well with the other cloud providers. It's uh, always the big topic, isn't it? Which one's, really? which one's the best and which one's, uh, you know, worth using. So, yeah, okay, great. Um, so I guess with obviously yourself at AO, um, how, how is it, it used at AO? Um, you know, obviously, it's, like you've mentioned, there's different areas where it does work best. Um, but yeah, where does it kind of work with you guys? Yeah, definitely. So I, I can talk from a couple of angles. I can talk from uh, the stuff that we've worked on as a team, which I'll spend a, a bit of time on. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's a number of use cases where it's growing in usage across across AO. Um, the the things that I've I've worked on where we've we've approached using server. So if I take us back to the first use case, yeah. it was um, a relatively um, time constrained delivery, um, but in a true sense rather than an arbitrary deadline in the sense that we had to get something done um, by the um, deadline date for GDPR compliance uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I'm sure um, a lot of people remember that as, as quite a fun time of trying to get things ready um, yeah. for, for GDPR compliancy. Um, and I won't dwell too much on GDPR. <laughs> I know it's not the most uh, uh, exciting subject for a lot of people, but what, yeah. what the, the position we found ourselves in having to get something um, deployed in, in less than two weeks, that, that was production ready. Um, which involved um, some audit requirements. It involved some um, request management around things like um, right to be forgotten, right to access requests um, and, and suppression requests as well. So we were faced with um, having to build something from scratch in a, in a very, very, very yeah. short time scale. Um, so that, that was kind of our first opportunity to, to like properly look at servers and say is this something that we can go for or not um, yeah. we've done some stuff as kind of proof of concepts before that um, so we kind of knew what we'd need to do to get something up and running 
but what was what was really apparent at the time was just to get this um, get this request capture system up. So it was an API on the back end with API gateway lambdas um, and MongoDB via MongoDB Atlas. Yeah, um, and a front end that was hosted in S3 uh, to to manage kind of where users can go and go and create those requests. We had something up and running um, within a week um, to start with, which was um, quite incredible in some ways. I mean that. It was it was really simple, but it did the job, and there was a lot of work we had to do from that point. And I think, I think what that showed us as a team was that it's it's a very good choice for trying something really quickly, um, and seeing if it works. And you get a lot of um, architectural decisions made for you as yeah. along with that. So that was kind of our our, our foot in the door with um, with with serverless and and being able to deliver that 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 application in in that timescale meant that you know we we brought capability that we needed to fulfill some of those those gdpr com compliancy nice. uh, things coming along um since that point we we've got a number of uh, other types of uis that that help configure back-end systems or set up um experiments for for certain parts of the things that we're building um we tend to be serverless first when we go into those now um, so yeah. we don't worry so much about building um, fully formed APIs using something like ASP.NET Core or something like that. Um, we tend to build the functions, define the API gateways in something like the serverless framework and, and have something up and running relatively quickly. Um, I, th I think one, one thing for us is that you know we, we are a, a .NET um, shop and I think one yeah. thing that has become apparent over the last, um, certainly the last year or so is Ah, uh, John Hello, uh, internet issues <laughs> Yeah, no worries uh, No problem, yeah it's, I guess that's uh, that's the thing we face at the moment when we're doing uh, the virtual stuff, isn't it? So, yeah, no, no, fair enough uh, Well, I guess uh, we last had had you at uh, delving into the uh, you mentioned so you, you guys a uh, .NET shop uh, and then I sort of lost you from that point. Uh, okay, uh, I think the next thing I, I just touched on, um, just talking about what what other teams in AO have, have used serverless. I think just in general, um, yeah. it's becoming um, a good choice for for a lot of teams to get something up and running and trying stuff quite quickly uh, and becoming a, a mainstay of some of our architectural choices. Um, and it's in use across like loads of teams. We've got over 20 tech teams here at AO um, and they're using it from things like on-site content delivery, yeah. uh, regular, regular, I can't say the word now, regulatory reporting um, and, and even some of our chatbot developments as well, which is, which is really nice. exciting. Oh, great. I, I guess one big question I want to ask as well, um, how does serverless impact DevOps, uh, that's like DevOps culture. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's another good question. I'm a, I'm a massive advocate of, of DevOps and, and what DevOps means. Um, and I like to always kind of bring my thinking of DevOps back to the, the three ways that Gene yeah. Kim spoke about in, in the Phoenix project and uh, subsequently the DevOps handbook. Yeah. Um, and I think if we if we just talk about those three ways very quickly, um, yeah. we can move into to how I think serverless 
um, plays a big part in, in that DevOps mindset and culture that we can bring to, to what we're working. So um, the first way um, is um, the way of flow, effectively how we can move things from left to right or from idea to production as quickly as possible. And um, we've already spoke about it a little bit. The GDPR use case was a, a classic example of us yeah. going from, we need to get this done to it being up and running in production in, in quite a short time scale. And I think serverless, um, when applied to the, the first way, um, it means that we're writing as little code as possible. Actually, we're writing the code that actually makes a difference, the, the stuff that is solving a big business problem. Um, we're embracing infrastructure as code, so things are repeatable and a bit safer. Um, enabling systems thinking as well, just kind of elevating our thinking a little bit. Um, and bringing things like reliability experience to the team as part of that as well. So we're delivering safely um, as well. So that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of benefits that we get from serverless uh, within, um, within the way of the way of flow. The way of feedback is um, a little bit different. I guess I didn't touch on this in, in some of the challenges of serverless. Um, but the way of feedback is about creating and amplifying fast and continuous feedback. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing here where, where serverless kind of needs to um, not necessarily get better, but it's more of a mindset shift for, for, yeah. the, um, for the engineers and, and the people building serverless types of, of um, architectures is around instrumenting your code for, for observability. So you, you creating those feedback loops that are a little harder to get um, if you're operating in this way, because you've abstracted yourself so far away from the infrastructure and that's kind of all done for you. And what you actually care about is yeah. um, instrumenting your code so that you can see if it's solving the problem that you're actually trying to solve or not. Um, and making that visible and making the metrics visible um, alongside it. Um, and then finally, the, the way of learning. Um, and again, this is, this is all, all about, um, creating opportunities for learning uh, quickly, frequently, cheaply, and as soon as possible. And again, what we're talking about here is that speed aspect um, to a certain degree and being able to try things quickly and see if it's doing what we expect it to do. Um, and again, we've spoke about how quickly you can get up and running with something uh, by, by choosing serverless technologies and embracing things like scientific thinking to help with that is, is, is massively um important and i think thinking thinking of serverless through through those three ways and and the behaviors that we we expect to see from from a team who who use serverless means that you know if we if we describe a, a devops team there are certain behaviors that you define that team alongside with um, and i think there's also a definition of um what we could say a serverless devops team is and what they're doing um and you could define it as uh, you know, a team that builds systems right as little code as possible, uh, responsible for the health of their services and systems as a whole, and creating their own deployment and management tooling. Uh, it's a team that instruments their code uh, for observability and ensuring that system and business metrics are visible. And it's a team that deploys quickly to provide new learning opportunities um, for themselves and the organization and designing architectures that, that are resilient to failure. Nice. Some really good points there and, and to uh, I guess the big topic and how, how that, that would affect DevOps and yeah um, 
good that preference quite a lot with the genie kim side as well as he delves uh, quite a lot into that in the phoenix project so good well yeah i've covered quite a lot i guess into the introduction of uh, serverless and you know uh, just recapping in terms of the what is serverless and the benefits and uh, disadvantages as well um, it seems to me that from from obviously what you've mentioned it's it's somewhere you know where if you do want to try something quickly um, and getting it done right it's definitely the best thing to do um, that best way to go down so yeah um, that's pretty much everything from from my side so yeah good to good to have you on today John and uh, you know from the, from the first uh, installment of our sort of serverless uh, as well and uh, hopefully we can try and get you on on the uh, webinar towards the end as well we'll get a couple of uh, panelists uh, you know, to discuss different areas across the, uh, from their side. So yeah, no, thanks for your time today, John. Perfect. Thanks, Lloyd. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, I'll speak to you soon anyway. Great stuff. Right. See Bye. you later. Bye.